to Beers, Business, and Balls, presented by House Enterprise and brought to you by Manscaped. Go to manscaped.com, use the code HOUSE, and you can get 20% off your order and free international shipping. This is episode 104. Jake and Will here. Uh, RJ Kaminsky is in the building from the PLL. And today is the day. I am officially a Twitter Blue subscriber. And I have my check mark. Um, so one thing off the bat that I didn't expect was the check mark comes immediately once you hit subscribe. And I did not know that. I thought I was under the impression this was like a plan at least, but Elon has gone full steam ahead and has started to do this stuff right now. And that's my Twitter blue experience. I have not used any features. I have not started fights to see if the algorithm prioritizes my comments. All of these will come. So learning experience for Twitter Blue starts today, Thursday, November 10th. I've only used the edit button. I will be exploring the edit button at some point. That's it. I don't know. It's been one of the biggest mishaps ever of like Elon. I mean, the... It's, it, it is crazy to see, though, how fast of a kill button <clears throat> Elon Musk has implemented with Twitter because originally with the, the whole Twitter blue stuff, like they had two badges. It's either you were, you were Twitter blue checkmark, which is the, what the present, what, what it looks like presently. And then if you were already an official media government member, official personality, whatever it was, already had that checkmark, you had an official checkmark underneath it. But then there was a bunch of like parody accounts, which again, as long as you say in your bio, I am a parody, there was free reign for a couple hours in Twitter of Araldis Chapman Twitter account that was verified saying, I'm coming back to New York. Thankful for the opportunity. I won't let Cashman and Boone down this year. But it was Araldis Chapman with two zeros. <laughs> and another one of Adam Schefter saying, uh, the Raiders have fired McDaniels. <laughs> yeah. So it was the wild, wild west, but they fucking hit the kill switch real quick. And uh, we'll see what Elon has up his sleeve for the next couple days, weeks, months, and the rest of the year. Yeah, so this is an interesting one, too, because this comes from Shane Pittman, who is the lead investigator for Netflix's new series, 28 Days Haunted. Um, I'm reading this from his bio. This is not an ad for Netflix. Um, he tweeted today, super confused with this Twitter blue stuff. I thought I needed to subscribe to Twitter blue to keep my verification. He is verified right now. I do that. And now it says I'm verified solely because I'm subscribed. So if I unsubscribe, will I retain my previous verification? And then he tagged Elon. Well, Elon responded to him. And said, well, subscription blue is better than legacy blue. I switched over. So my response to that is, I don't know what the fuck is going on anymore. Um, Elon clarified today. He said, there's going to be a lot of people at Twitter doing a lot of dumb stuff these next few months. And that's under my directive because we need to just figure this out. So I appreciate his experimentation attitude, but... Is the app going to break is the question. Like, I have lots of questions about, like, is Barry McCockiner going to get verified now? Um, if he pays is, for it. 
Yeah, exactly. And a darn Schefter's verified. So are we going to have, to your point, a wild, wild west? I mean, right now it certainly fucking is. And I'm a little concerned. So I'm going to be a part of it in the meantime. I'm going to ride the wave and see what happens. Yeah, I mean, like I said, as long as they don't fuck up this app, I'll still be a happy user, but it's going to be pretty easy to fuck up this app when you don't have any of your workforce anymore. Uh, yeah, he doesn't have a CEO. He, uh, how, what's the percentage of employees that he let go? Cause everybody says it was sizable layoffs, but it was it like 30 or 40% or what? Like, I don't know what the figure ended up being. Cause there was just so much fake stuff out there. Let's see how much. For, uh, I certainly could not find it. Vox Media says half of its workforce. There's no way it's half. He really laid half the people that work at Twitter off? I, I don't know if I believe that. People laid off of Twitter. Because half is just... I don't know if I can support Three, that. Seven, yeah. Fortune.com says 3,700 staffers sum of 50% of its workforce. Oh, Jesus. Now, granted, like he did say that like a lot of people were like twiddling their thumbs and doing nothing at Twitter, which good for them <laughs> to say I work at Twitter and have the easiest like send two emails and call it a day. Yeah, but again, how how accurate is that? Is he just saying it? Because if you, I'm not, I wouldn't be surprised. I'll put it that way. I think it's so true because it's like, what has Twitter done to change the game? Uh, they, don't even, they didn't even have an edit button. You're telling me 3,700 <laughs> people couldn't code an edit button and all you had to do was pay, pay $8 to get it? Yeah, I mean, the 280 characters is good, but like they've done jack shit else. Vine was a flop. Periscope was a flop. Um even what's the, that video? Is it Square, I guess. I don't fucking know. Um, their product team. Like, what are you doing? All right, it, you, you have all these product really, managers. You have you you have a a top four, top four social media app that millions and millions of people use, and you haven't done anything innovative or evolutionary to it since its inception. Yeah, like what the hell are product managers at Twitter doing? Like, oh, here are all these cool features. Let's do none of them. What, like, what features are really that cool on Twitter? Well, that's the thing. There's none. There's really nothing. Um, I'm scrolling through. Great. I can edit my profile. I can pin a tweet. Fucking Slack did that. Like, that was the first thing they ever did. Um, what else? Oh, it hyper. It shows you the the picture of the link when you put it in Twitter. Um, and. How dumb is this? Because we're the ones that no matter... I, I'm paying for this shit now. And here I am saying how bad Twitter of an app is. It's like Amazon in a way. Because is Amazon really all that good of a website? No, it's not. But you're still going to fucking use it because that's how you order stuff. And that's the same with me with Twitter. Like, without Twitter, you and I'd be screwed. It's that simple. We, we can't get sports news. We can't um, throw horrendous takes out there. I, I think I'd be lost without Twitter at this point. How many tweets it's, do you have? 
Um, I have 8,600. I have 14,000. <laughs> Holy shit. We have 22,000 tweets between us. And majority of it is house stuff. Yeah. Let's see. So if you do 22,000, you assume every tweet takes you at bare minimum a minute. Um, Road to the Garden has 82,000. Jesus Christ. Let's go to... Could that be 366 hours of Twitter? Is that right? Uh, I don't know. I, I'm, this math is making my head spin. I'm not doing math. Um, and that's talking Twitter. Twitter is a mess. No more Twitter. No more business. Let's start with some beers. To kick it off and then we'll go, please. Yes. So I'll start with my beers. Uh, went to Portland a couple weekends ago and had a great experience heading to Shipyard and Bissell Brothers and Oxbow and a bunch of different others. And I will choose a beer from Bissell Brothers. And I will choose do, 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 do. Spooky Substance. So it's a spinoff of their Substance beer. And what is the information on Substance? Why well, can't... We're talking user experience. I'm not going to lie. Uh, Untapped has fallen off just a little bit in my that's another one man what's up with all these apps like what the hell not doing well so substance is a it's hopped with chinook apollo simcoe and centennial uh brightly dank and designed to be just mysterious enough and this one is for the spooky double double dry hop ddh and I give it a 4.5. I thought out of the four or five beers that I had at Bissell Brothers, this one stood out the most that I bought a four pack of. I really enjoyed just the flavor of it. It reminded me of just like why Portland was known for its New England IPAs. And it really stood out. I thought it was one of the better beers that I had the entire weekend in Portland. So 4.5 for me on that one. But Portland as a whole, great food city, great beer city. It's lost its ranking in number one uh, on the East Coast. I truly think that the way the industry is right now, that there are so many other breweries that blow a lot of the Portland stuff out of the water. And also just like per capita, like, and one of the reasons why we started this podcast, like I truly unbiasedly think that like Rhode Island is becoming like the beer capital of the East Coast. I think so. I think there's a lot of merit. I think pound for pounds, like breweries per capita means a lot, but also just like the quality of beers that are being made from Long Live, Beer on Earth, Newport, uh, Proclamation, Moniker. Like there are beers that anytime I go to another place, like subconsciously I'm ranking them in my head. I'm like, this doesn't beat Long Live. This doesn't beat 
Narragansett. This doesn't beat Newport. It, it, it just doesn't. And again, it could be a little biased to it because like we have relationships with these, these places now and we're, you know, we're friends with the owners and the CEOs and the brewers and stuff. And it's also that like we go there, you know, we drink their beer more often than we do, you know, one time stop at Portland. But I just think the quality is miles and miles. The, the gap isn't there anymore in terms of quality that it was like, oh, best beer I ever had was at Treehouse. That's not the case anymore. Yeah. And I think there is obviously I don't think there's a right answer to like, hey, what's the beer capital of New England? Because every individual market will say it's them. They'll say, oh, but everyone else is good, too. Um, that being said, I think Rhode Island has grown the most by far over these past two, three years. You know, what's also sneakily on the come up is like Connecticut. Look at how many beer bars in Rhode Island serve Connecticut beer like Fox Farm, Kent Falls. Um Obviously, Two Roads has become the titan now, um, mostly through distribution. But Connecticut's one of those that, like, I feel like the natural progression of, like, this turnover in in New England will be Rhode Island's sort of in the spotlight right now, I think. Um, There's more, like, uh, urban breweries popping up in, like, central Massachusetts, too, which is super weird. Um I feel like you're going to see it go in these next like 10, 15 years, Rhode Island, Connecticut will get the limelight and then like central mass. And then it's just going to be this revolving door of like, all right, now there's 60 breweries in Rhode Island. Where the hell do you put them anymore? You know? Um, But you say that and like, what's downtown in Providence right now? Downtown. You've got Bayberry. And you've got, what else? Uh, the Guild in the summer, technically. Um, and that's it. Yeah, true. I think the thing right now with breweries are like, hey, if you need, if you're going to have a brewery, you need parking, you need uh, like one land or something. Like, you know, do you? Like that's, well, that's the, the thing. I think things are going to change. I think that it, it probably will change these next few years to like, because uh, quite simply, you're just, everybody's not going to be able to, to do that you know they're not gonna be able to buy all this land and shit and have a farm um yeah so that's interesting i don't think we're in at like the the point in new england yet where you see a lot of downtown breweries except portland so you have again so you have like trinity and union station that have been namesakes for years they're not it doesn't count they're really not they're not really helping their case nothing downtown besides that you have malted barley yeah true beer bar though right yeah that's a beer bar there is not a single brewery besides Narragansett on the east side of Providence. Yeah, that's a very good point. Because <laughs> it's like every time anyone goes down fair, it's like you want to blow your brains out. Um, there is not a single brewery in the Federal Hill area. Yeah. And again, that's parking, you know. But what the restaurants have no problems. Yeah. It's these, it's these old valet people, you know. I the think there's hookah bars. No, have problems. That's for damn sure. So I'm driving to a hookah bar. <laughs> so why are you driving to a brewery? That's true. I think well, that's a really good point because Portland has proven to do it right. Like Portland has the space. They have the downtown capacity. I would venture to say like 
the best breweries in Portland are close to downtown, if not in the thick of it. Um, but then again, Bissell Brothers wasn't downtown. That's true. It's on the it's on the river, right? Up. It's on the it's on the opposite side on the way out, right? Or the way in, however you look at it. Yeah, I guess my point is like that's probably where the market will go, um, where you used to and even now need all this land and stuff and a big lot for parking. But now we're going to see things pop up more unconventionally, which I think is interesting. So that lends itself nicely to Rhode Island and Connecticut and a few of these other markets. Um, yeah, we've had the Portland discussion a few times, like, and that, this has been not a new take for you. And I, I sort of agree with it that Portland, not to say it's lost its touch by any means, but it's no longer the craft beer capital of new England. Yeah. I think it reigned supreme at one point, but yeah, as far as beer output, I mean, Rhode Island has a beat. There's, I don't think there's a question there. Um, yeah, that's, that's interesting. Portland is then again, you have, you have breweries like that'll always be, you know, superior in terms of like size and, and nota, notability. It's like the Bissell Brothers, the Allagashes, the main beer company, the shipyards. But, you know, you go there and you have their one namesake beer that's now overproduced and like easily accessible. It's not necessarily a treat. And then you see the rest of their menu and it's kind of like, okay, these are good beers, but they're not all great beers. You used to make right. five, five out of five rock solid beers. Now you're making fours, which again, still impressive, but not blow me out of the water impressive. I, I think that's what makes Gansett so special too, because you can't really go there and order a fresh catch uh, all the time. They have it sometimes, but they don't have their Gansett lights and their white cans and stuff. They only have the craft stuff, which I think is really interesting. Uh, stuff you can't really get anywhere else. So that's talking New England beer. I will, uh, with November in full swing, um, I'm going to take a stab at one of my favorite breweries outside New England, actually, which is Star Hill Brewery um, in Virginia. I have been to Star Hill now three or four times in the past year or so. Uh, girlfriend's family in DC. And it's one of my favorite spots. Uh, their beer garden in Tyson's Corner to get a pretty good craft beer. Again, this is going to be a 3-5 rating that I dish out. But um, the reason why I do this is because we are in the thick of the brown ale season and the red ales and stuff like that. And we're also in the thick of maple beers. So I'm going to give last leaf from star Hill a review today. Um, and I, I did another star Hill beer at some point. It wasn't this one. This will get a three, five. Um, my standards for brown ales. I am not a huge brown ale person, but I like them this time of year. Um, I had this beer a year ago from Friday. Um, English brown made with Virginia maple syrup, subtle vanilla notes, and a smooth malty character. Um, it's, it's just comforting around this time of year. Um, I can see myself having something like this on Thanksgiving this year, maybe a little precursor to dinner, or maybe that drink to get you from 
dinner to dessert. You're kind of just hanging out. Maybe you take a quick nap on the couch, kick back a nice little brown ale. Um, I liked this one. I liked it. I think if I had it again, I'd probably give it something higher because my notes in there were pretty good. Um, and that's Last Leaf from Star Hill. Really enjoyed it. Uh, sick rooftop, too, in Tyson's Corner. 12th floor of a skyscraper. You go out. There's a mini golf course out there now. Um, it's a pretty freaking cool spot. It is always packed. It's, the been, hard getting, it's been hard getting into the... Um, you know, the brown stuff and the fall beers when it's been 70 degrees. But that's that's the thing. Yes. Um hey, these past two days have been nice and chilly though. So now maybe but it's gonna be 71 this weekend, so whatever. Uh I don't know anymore. Um that's our beer segment. What we have an awesome guest uh for business and of course parlaying into balls as well. RJ Kaminsky's with us. Uh if you follow the PLL in any way, shape, or form, you know RJ's face is plastered all over the vlogs, TikToks, the behind-the-scenes videos, all that stuff, but it runs much deeper. RJ was one of the OG guys of the PLL, built the brand from the ground up. Now he's the director of brand, just got promoted before the season started this year. Uh, great conversation with RJ, talking about Method Man, some influencers, and what's next for the PLL. So let's bring him in. Here's RJ Kaminsky. All right, everybody, with us this week, we're joined by RJ Kaminsky, the director of brand for the PLL, the Premier Lacrosse League, a vlog host, content creator, the man that wears many hats. He's growing his hair out. He's chilling in California now, <laughs> but he's still pumping out the PLL content despite the season being over. But RJ, welcome to the podcast. How's everything going and what's going on? Everything's good, Jake. Well, thanks for, thanks for having me. I'm excited to uh, spend some time with you guys. Absolutely. No, it's a long time coming. Obviously, the season was a little busy. College Hoops is busy for us, but we're happy to have you on. So I talked about you wearing a lot of different hats for a lot of different people. What exactly do you do in your role? What is RJ's world in PLL and what does director of brand actually mean? So, so the, so the director of brand title allows myself to touch various different verticals in the business. Uh, the, the, the most, the, the ones I interact with most are our merch business uh, and social, like those two in particular, as well as player relations to some point and brand and content. So that's the content that we're making for our sponsors with our players. Um, so, so it gives me the ability to float across those four verticals in particular. Uh, I think to, to a lot of people's surprise, like the, my personal content through PLL is probably like 5% of what I do here. It's mostly what I do in the, in the summer, uh, but in the off season, it's a lot of project management and things of that nature that pertain to those, those four areas of business. And so oh, yeah, no, no, well. I was going to say in those four pillars, what do you love the most? What do you like, what is your favorite to do without putting you on the spot? I mean, I saw your photo you posted of like the champion uh, retro collection that you guys shopped and you were talking about merch. I think like the PLL merch is, you know, one of the best in the business, but what, what pillar do you, you know, get the most excitement from? Probably from influencer partnerships. So that's the, that's the folks that uh, that's work that's working with the folks that come out to our games, that cover our games, that just come as a guest and developing those relationships, both from a business perspective, as well as just the relationship between them and the league. Um, it, it's really important for, for us to, 
to always remind ourselves in the sport of lacrosse that we are very small in the grand scheme of, of professional sports. We're, we're basically a blip on the map. So consistently thinking about how we can reach folks outside of this of this bubble of, of the lacrosse world that we find ourselves in, uh, it's really important. So have a lot of green grass in regards to, to, to digging up those partnerships, which is, uh, which is great. Um, and it's a product of the fact that a lot of cool ass people played lacrosse. Um, just there's, there's still a lot of people out there that, that played that, uh, folks on the outside don't know about. So digging up those, digging up those connections between those folks in the game and then bringing them together, whether they're sitting on Prez Road a game or we're getting them in a, in a skybox for the championship, for example. So fostering those relationships that can end up bringing new eyeballs to the game. So you studied uh, journalism at Maryland back in the day. You had plenty of experience in that, you know, quote unquote, corporate journalism world before the PLL. So in that capacity, what were some of those big things you learned early on that set you up for, for what you're doing now? Two biggest ones, just video, video editing and on-camera presentation. So uh, a lot of the reels that I cut for myself in journalism school were stand-ups. So I'd be on the side of the road discussing a, a collision or, or giving the facts of, 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 a, of a news event in some capacity. But, but being on screen, uh, the, the second part is just going home and editing that together myself. So that's, that's sourcing B-roll, that's sourcing interviews that I shot on site and putting it all together into a news package, something like you'd see on the five o'clock news. So one, just appearance on camera and two, putting the edit together from start to finish with no assistance from, from other parties are, are the, the two biggest takeaways from, from journalism school for me that, that, that helped along the way. And then you get to the PLL, right? You're part of the OG crew that built the league and the brand from basically the ground up and <laughs> The OG crew. <laughs> yeah, hey, it is what it is, though, right? It's like it was a very small group of people that the Rabels entrusted to say, here you go, build us up into what we are now. So the challenges, and of course, I'm sure we could have two hours on a pod of just talking about how right. the PLL grew and scaled, but what were some of those early challenges that you were like, oh, shit, I, uh, I, didn't, I don't know this, or this is going to be very hard for us? What were some of those moments? Well, getting, getting players on camera sitting in front of a camera in any regard, whether it's me talking to you all or whether it's me sitting down and doing a video interview for a job that I'm, that I'm looking to get or someone shooting me with a, with a cell phone camera or a DSLR camera in any capacity, when, when you're, when you're on screen or someone's filming you uh, it, it can be incredibly awkward if you don't have a ton of reps and our players, they're, they're, they're lacrosse players. They don't have a ton of reps of being on camera, or at least a lot of them. Our superstars yet coming out of college, but, but there, are, there are a lot of guys that are generally uncomfortable uh, with being in front of a lens. So, so that far and away for me since year one has been the biggest, uh, the biggest hurdle and, and, and point, that, uh, point of emphasis for, for me to work on with our players. And it, and it just takes time and, and reps, as I mentioned earlier. Um, and, and that's gotten progressively better from years one through four. Um, like now we're now we probably have four or five cameras in the locker room at all time with, you know, j just having shot for fate of a sport, uh, the ESPN doc in the last year to, uh, to just the 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 heightened presence that we just have as a uh, as a production team in the PLL. There's there's very few moments that our teams get away from away from the cameras. Uh, so. So it's always rolling, and 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 the more they're uh, the more they're being filmed, the more comfortable they are uh, in front of the lens. So far and away, the the, the biggest hurdle. 
And from a fan perspective, obviously everyone sees the content you're making and the work that you're doing as, you know, this fun job, but how do you balance like the realization of like, okay, like I have such an incredible job, a lot of great experiences, but we're also a business at the end of the day. So how do you balance those kind of double edges of the sword to be like, we're making some good stuff, but the day's not done with it when the game's over. Yeah. It's just about, I think, I think it's always about being intentional. So there, there's there's always content ideas thrown out uh, from the start of the morning to the end of the day, whether it's with our players or sponsors or whatever it may be, and and it's always important to think one like what the the purpose of that of that idea is and, and where it's living. Like thinking thinking those two things through uh, goes a really long way because at the end of the day we are we are best uh, and spending resources on on uh, on content generation or things like or, or, or other or other ideas that our teams come up with. That, that don't fulfill um, certain certain goals of ours as, as an org uh, can be wasted time. So, so it's really important to uh, to ensure that what we're doing from a content perspective has purpose um, and is ultimately taking the business uh, down the right road, whether it's from a partnership standpoint or an engagement standpoint with our fans. Um, there, there's a lot of ideas floating around here on a consistent basis, but I think uh, I think balancing uh, following through with the ones that are both beneficial for our fans and beneficial for the business. Uh, like that's, that's the one we really have to, to focus on striking. I asked Mike Rabel this last year, I think it was in DC on championship weekend, you know, looked around and said, wow, is this, do you ever just sit back and, and say, wow, look at all we accomplished. And he looked at me without a second and he said, no, we have so much stuff to do. Right. So I'm curious to, for your perspective, that's sort of a question in the same vein too. It's like four years in, you can look back and say, wow, we've grown so much. Lacrosse is now the fastest growing sport in North America. Um, but I feel like the folks at the PLL, at least that have been there for day one, always say, no, we have so much more work to do to make this, you know, to, to really get into, as Paul says, maybe the top six or seven sports uh, in the world. So from your perspective, what's that balance as well? It's it's really hard to take that time and to look around and, and and notice the growth and recognize the growth. Probably the closest I got to that point was probably just at the championship game this year when chaos came out and they were booed by the almost the entire stadium. And then the water dogs came out and they were they were cheered for by a by a lot of folks there in the stadium. And then once they actually took the field, looking around, we we have a full slate of fans on one side of the stadium, a full slate of fans on the other, and then other folks sprinkled in between those, those two sides of the stadium. Whereas in 2019, we had one, one side of the stadium stacked. So, so seeing, seeing the, the growth uh, from, a, from an audience standpoint, double in size from 2019 to, to 2022, uh, it, it, those are the tangible moments where you can really feel and experience the growth and, and have that, have that not sigh of relief, but just um just a feel just that feeling of progression, which I think can be really hard for all of us in 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 all of our careers to just take a moment to to recognize the growth and just be thankful for uh for the work that you've done because it's because it's paying off. Uh, so th those moments are few and far in between. I I wish there were more of them, but it's 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 hard to be grateful for progress sometimes because you're just looking ahead to the next thing. I think we as humans have that we we all kind of have that problem in common. Uh, but we're just we're just looking for uh, for the next area of growth, uh, and we're like I said earlier in the in the pod, we're just consistently reminding ourselves that uh, a lot of people are new to the game of lacrosse or let or 
let alone haven't even heard of the sport. So that's what that's what just that's what keeps us going in regards to continuing to grow this thing since there's so much so much to do, like MR said. And what would you attribute to that growth? Obviously, what you're building as a brand, you know, getting the content out there is the important part. But you mentioned like not many people know lacrosse, like I'm from Long Island, and lacrosse is such a focal point in the sports community in high school and at a young age. But what would you attribute to that growth just for the common fan flipping through the channels and then coming across, you know, the PLL? Like, how do people find this information? How are you building that? You know, what are some of the things in your mind? The the beauty of the answer to that question is it's a little bit of everything and it's and it's not necessarily quantifiable in all of the regards that uh, that come together to 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 bring growth to the league and to bring more more eyeballs to the sport. Uh, one example could just be our community engagement. So whether that's our goals for greatness initiative or our PLL Academy initiative when we go into certain communities and run clinics, um, expose kids that are fairly new to the game to to the pros in our league. Um, the third is uh, just visibility across uh, across ESPN. Like you, you, watching first take one morning, I'm looking at the bottom right hand corner and I see a I see a promotion for our draft coming up later in the night, or I I see a bug for the PLL playoff or the the PLL championship game coming up on on ABC. Like those are those are all little things uh, that that add up to to new folks being exposed to this game and exposed to the league. Uh, and that, that was just, that was just three departments. I didn't even bring in uh, some, some of the behind the scenes work from our marketing team and, and, and other strategies that we employed to just get PLL in front of new folks or even influencers, the influencers we worked with in the past, uh, in the past six to 12 months that have, that have gotten lacrosse highlights in the feed of folks that uh, either haven't even heard of the sport or, or wouldn't traditionally watch it otherwise. Um, so those are probably four or five of the avenues, but the beauty is there there's so many different ways to to make progress there for folks either just sitting in the stands and watching a game or watching at home flipping through the channels and that is an excellent transition to what's going on now in the PLL too and something you've been working on a bunch uh, method man's back in the picture he's worked with the PLL before yeah. he gave us that fire intro song from last oh, year oh yeah uh, it was sick i always kind of like jammed out with the face off song we played it this year too but um method man's back he was a great lacrosse player back in the day too he's teaming up with champion for the pll's capsule collection um in your perspective rj why is method man proven to be such a a great ambassador for the pll and how is he working with you guys uh he turns heads man uh just the the headlines that uh that we were able to to receive from this year's collab whether it was rolling stone or vibe magazine whatever it may be or when he jumped on our nbc broadcast to tease the sees the rap that we worked on uh, in conjunction with uh, with our team and his. Uh, that Just a, a musical icon and someone that has his background playing lacrosse, uh, it, it naturally is going to get someone to go, wait, what did you say? Or, or wait, those two things don't often go together. Um, so him just him just just uh, just being a fantastic ambassador to the sport is, uh, uh, is, is something that I'm really thankful for. The, the sport really really did a lot for him growing up and now has come back into his life in a really meaningful way and being able to play a role in that uh, on our side of the house with, uh, with, with, with working with him on a daily basis and then going and spending the day shooting with him and, and designing the collab with, uh, with folks on our team, like Leah Murphy, who, um, who designed the whole thing top to bottom uh, was just really special. Um, so, and, and then one other, one other piece, probably no, actually by, by far and away, my, 
Uh, my favorite piece of the collab we did with him this year was just the community impact that we're able to have. So that's Champion donating $1,500 across 10 different nonprofits and lacrosse organizations in the name of the collab. And then us getting out into Compton, uh, one, of the, one of the chapters of Harlem Lacrosse that benefited from this with gear, going out and giving those kids a ton of the branded gear from the capsule, as well as other generic Champion items, sweatshirts, hoodies, t-shirts, hats, and seeing the looks on the kids' faces as we go out and play and, they, and, they, uh, and they're all decked out in their new gear. So really awesome and a really meaningful relationship between uh between him and uh him and the league and to piggyback that too i mean you have a lot of high profile investors and people involved in the community that are helping to get the name out kevin Durant, eric nardini barstool sports as a whole but you know from your perspective how did some of those deals you know marry themselves into the pll and you know how has that impact you know built upon the pll name well, just uh, without without getting into too much detail, because I, I don't think you have to. If you're a if if you're an investor, you're part of an investment group. You're you're looking to uh, you're looking to make money, right? So if, if you're looking at a at a business model uh, and one that's one that's been proven out for for three or four years, and you have the opportunity to invest, uh, then and you think it's a winner, then, then you make that investment. And what's exciting for for someone like myself on the content side is. Uh, seeing folks like like Rich Kleiman and Kevin and 35 Ventures come in and take a bet uh, based on the progress they've seen from year one to year four uh, is really freaking cool because then that opens us up for for opportunities to work with Kevin and Rich and and their group and their resources on how we can, again, further get our product and the sport of lacrosse in front of new folks. Um, so so when we get when we get new groups on like that, it's a. Uh, it's almost just like you just throw throw a whiteboard on the wall and let's let's come up with some ideas because these folks aren't just coming in to to invest their money and step aside and let us do our thing. They're coming in to invest their money and work with us to to grow this thing because uh because they have skin in the game now. Is there anybody that stands out in your eyes that's been like maybe it's unfair of every investor to go through, right? But like, is there anyone that stands out that you've in your experience said, wow, this person is just is so on board. They give excellent ideas and they really contribute to where we're going. From a, from an, from, or even maybe that's uh, to rephrase the question, even like, you know, any, any outside individual that has come in and said, you Mm -hmm. know, Hey, I've got some skin in the game. This is where I think we should go as a group, you know, and, and maybe an individual that you guys have taken recommendations from and continue to seek out. So I, I really think it's, it's our, it's our initial investors um, from year one, like Brett Jefferson, Joe Ty, um, these, both of those, both of those guys have absolute passions for the sport of lacrosse. So they are consistently making their voice heard on, on recommendations and areas of growth for us or other opportunities or other introductions uh, for us to grow as a league. Um, so th- th- those two in particular, th- th- they were, they were the, uh, they were they were the day one investors uh, that that really took a, took a chance in the league when it was when it was like just a slide deck from Mike and Paul. I sat next to Brett Jefferson for about five minutes in Fairfield, and I was like, you know, even after those five minutes, I go, whoa, this guy is like laying out plans for what we could do inside the stadium. Like, go, yeah, bar there. Oh yeah, yeah. Larry over here. It's crazy stuff. It's, um, it, it's very cool. To, it's very cool to have not just investors but also board members uh, that have a real uh, they, they just have a real fire for growing this thing and offering their ideas on a consistent basis. Cause that's what you want from your investors and your board members. And, and we have that, we have that all over with, uh, with the folks that are you know, uh, on our side. 
So it was the biggest season you just had, most eyes ever on it, a lot of exciting storylines, but real talk, did you see the Water Dogs winning the championship? No, I didn't. I, I didn't see them winning the championship. Uh, however, however, um, what I what I actually admire about the Water Dogs is that uh, this year in particular, they're, they're, they are a bit of a challenge to cover from a social standpoint um, in regards to uh, storylines. Like, I think the Water Dogs origin story is really cool, but the the players themselves on the team, like they're, they're, they're just a bit of a motley crew. I, I think they, I think they, they really follow through with uh, just the, the way that team was concepted in, in, uh, in guys being outcasts from their former team, guys that weren't protected all coming together and, and playing under that, uh, that underdog mentality, which was really cool to play out and watch and just to, and to watch them raise the trophy and Michael Sowers have the, the WWE belt at the end of the game and see the guys parting in the locker room. So re really cool underdog story, but also a unique challenge for us as a marketing team for, for a group of guys where we, where we, uh, we have to dig a little bit in regards to storylines and player personalities and things of that nature. But, uh, but seeing them, seeing them follow through and, and actually win it um, was, was just really cool because now I, I didn't have it on my bingo card for, for them winning it all at the start of the year. I'll, I'll be honest. And of course, everyone had eyes because their owners are Big Cat and PFT. And we got to just, you got to just address, are they actually owners or is it just a namesake thing? No, it's, it's definitely not a namesake thing. We, we went to them with, with, with the idea of, of, of naming the team. And we thought, look, if, if, we, if these guys are going to get involved, um, whether it's just from a social standpoint or whether they have equity in the team or the league or whatever it may be, um, it's going to be a really cool opportunity to bring their fan base along for the journey and, uh, and watching that transpire has been awesome. So like we travel, like we travel their talent out to the game naturally when, like when they're, when their teams in the final, like they were in the championship. So having Billy come out and, and Dubes and, uh, and, and come out and celebrate with the team was really cool. Um, so it's, uh, even though we're not officially franchised out or, or have, uh, or have individual team owners, they're, they're certainly, uh, forming a part of them. And uh, and watching that narrative out on social has been has been really fun since they, that PMT audience helped come up with the name to them celebrating on FaceTime with PFT and Big Cat in the locker room uh, once they once they won the trophy. That is that's pretty cool. I mean they they're obviously ones to give lots of input on on what should happen with the games, even though some of the the ideas are a bit far fetched. Um, cool stuff coming think up. Big, obviously, for sure. you can. Uh, you can't divulge much at this point, but the championship series is coming up first ever in February. Um, more info is going to come out soon. What can you tell us about what to expect it and what, what's different about the championship series in the, uh, than the regular season? What's different about champ series off the bat. Uh, it's going to be really freaking fast. It's going to go by quickly. Like you thought the bubble went by quickly um, in that tournament format that we set up during COVID. This is going to go by even faster. Uh, it's going to be nine nine game total and uh and it's just it's just it's just gonna be one game after the other i think we're playing a couple games a day uh i don't know how much i'm able to give out here now before we start making announcements in the coming weeks but uh but just between the the format uh the time limit on these games uh the rosters that are going to be uh that are going to be trimmed down from the traditional um from the traditional number that you see in a regular pll game um it's, it's going to be a, it's going to be a different product but it's 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 almost gonna feel like 
like the PLL product on steroids in a sense, just because it's nonstop. It's going to feel like traditional basketball, like back and forth. Um, and, and with some of the other rule changes, so it's it's going to be a it's going to be a very unique product. It's it's really one of the first times that that we're going to get to see the sixes format in the spotlight. Uh, so so I'm just I'm excited to to be a part of that and uh, and be on the ground there for for the for the week of champ series in February. Yeah, I think it's the it's, yeah it's the week after Super Bowl. Tell you a nice little parlay right after watching football this season. Bring back the PLL to kick things off. Not too bad. Oh yeah. And it's, it's really a different game too. Like just with just over unders the nature, like the, of the, uh, of the time of the games. Like, so I hope, uh, I hope all the sports books are, are, you know, have time to, to get lines up because it is it, just by nature, it's just such a different game. Right on. And to close things out, I mean, you obviously are working so closely with Paul Rabel, the mastermind behind all of this. It's a two-part question. What have you learned from him professionally and what is one of your favorite non lacrosse moments with him? Ah, that's really good. I'll I'll start with the first one. Um, there's a there there's a lot to tackle in regards to to working on the content side of a of a pro sports league, especially one that you're trying to grow rapidly from the ground up, like we are with PLL. And, and what, what Paul is really good at and something that I've really picked up from him uh, is being really intentional from, from, from day one of any project um, and, uh, and, and conceptualization of that project, how you, how you bring different folks in, uh, going to others for advice once you have that plan in place, um, and just being, just being so dogged when it comes to, to, to execution. Um, it, 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 there, there's, a, there's a few pieces there that I just see him, uh, that I see him exhibit on a daily basis. And he's part of, I mean, there, there are so many, there are so many pieces of business that he's, that he's involved in, uh, from a daily basis where you just think, wow, like how, how does he have that much time in one day? Um, so I, I think the, the overall takeaway is just, um, being incredibly intentional, uh, with, with goal setting, uh, when you set out for a project, no matter how big or small it is, if it's a one day campaign, if it's a three week project, if it's a three month project, like our method man campaign, um, and, uh, and just being, and just, just being dogged in your approach. Um, and then also going and seeking, uh, seeking the viewpoints of others before pressing publish or before taking this thing out, uh, to the public, because, because it's really important to hear from your team. Uh, who have different vantage points on what you're doing because uh, you're just being in the weeds on a project for so long. You, there, there are just certain things that you're naturally blind to. Um, so there, there's a few different learnings there and also just a, a ton of different learnings as a whole that I've, that I've, that I've been lucky to have and working with him since I started here. And then the, uh, the second piece, uh, it has to be not, it has to be non-lacrosse. Non non it's a non-lacrosse moment, right? Yeah, I mean, whatever your it could be your it could be with lacrosse too. Just like favorite moment with, you know, uh, Paul Rabel himself. Yeah, I got it. So, so this is this is that moment. It was free, freezing our asses off in. Uh, we called it TLN Park. It was it was actually the park right next to the old whistle, the old TLN offices in New York. Um, is it Madison Square Park. Yeah, I think it was Madison Square Park. Uh, anyways, it's like 25 degrees. I'm out filming with George Chaparsky on our video team. We're doing a we're doing a TLN top five, like my show at TLN. And we had Paul come by. We had about 
30 minutes with him. He was in between investor meetings and this and that, but before the, before the, the league was public. And we, we shot this full episode of, of the TLN top five. And I picked my favorite team and it was Atlas. And there's a, there's a picture of me holding up the shirt. And then I, there was another team, which I can't, I, I don't know if I'm allowed to say the name of, it's not, it's not a team that's in the league. Uh, and that was, I think, Jordan's favorite team. Anyways, we shoot, we shoot the full episode and we're editing it. And then we hear from Tyler Steinhardt, who is the my current roommate. He was our former director of content and Paul in the group chat. And they were like, guys, we have, we have, to, we have to scrap everything. Um, we can't do that. We can't do the show. And I was like, well, what do, what do you mean? Like, what, like why can't? And they were just changed one of the names of the teams. And like that's and, and they were it, it was it was in an effort. It was basically in an exercise similar to the to the learning that I had um, uh, that I just mentioned of just of getting different viewpoints in the room on things. And uh, the, the league was just quite literally in the middle of their exercise of, of hearing what people thought of these different team names and these logos and these concepts. And a couple of the logos were going to change in their style. And one of the teams was just was just going to be pulled out and subbed in with a with a different name. So. So that was just just looking back on how we we rushed that episode and 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 filming that in the freezing cold and just picking those two teams and just picking one that wasn't even a part of the league uh, once 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 the once we made the official announcement uh, it ju it just showed me how uh, just how early stages this business was before I was a part of it and how um, and just the the tangible impact that every member of that team had on on the business. Um, and and what people see uh, as the outcome. So so all that to say is that was it was that wintry day. I think it was like maybe like November December, and uh, and just looking back on an episode that never even made it, uh, never even made it to social media or never even was finished being edited. I have to uh, now that we own TLN, I feel like we have that in the archive somewhere. I need to go no go find that footage. <laughs> yeah, if it's ever public knowledge on which team it was, then kind of kind of release that to the masses. <laughs> Oh, yeah, deal, deal. Maybe, maybe it'll that'll be in the next documentary. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, a couple years from now, you'll see it on ESPN Plus. I'm sure. Maybe we'll get to that point. Um, Heck yeah! RJ, I think I still have the T-shirt of that team in my room, so I'm, I'm gonna uh, have to. I have to dig that up and see if I still have it. <laughs> <laughs> we love it. Um, thanks a bunch, man. Always a pleasure catching up with you. Uh, to close out, how can our listeners engage with you and your stuff as well as the PLL? What can they do to get involved? Uh, we'll just stick to PLL. Just go follow at PLL on Instagram, uh, Premier Lacrosse on Twitter. Um, I know there's a lot happening at Twitter now. We have to get the at PLL handle. Um, so we're we're working on that because whoever has it is just sitting on it. And it's dormant. So working Pretty on little, that, but it's just at PLL. <laughs> you know, I I have to look at it. It's it. Is it not Pretty Little Liars? Just, no, it's not. Someone's just sitting on it, and we need it. So if if you're listening <laughs> to this and you work at Twitter. We 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 need to get this we need to get this handle. Just give Elon a call, I guess. That'll fix everything. Man. Yeah. Yeah, they're just sitting <laughs> on it, huh? That sucks. Yeah. It's 2017. You guys will you guys will get it. You'll figure it out. Um, we'll, we'll get there. And we'll look back and laugh at this at this moment here before we had it. Yes, yes. We'll put this on TikTok and everything. RJ, thanks a bunch. <laughs> um, we will see you soon, hopefully, and uh count down the days till February. Sounds good, guys. Yeah, appreciate you having me on. And that was just RJ Kaminsky from the PLL. Uh, great interview. We're excited for the season to be coming back in February. They're building a lot of cool stuff and a lot of great influencer marketing. So it was a perfect business and ball segment.
which parlays us into the balls presented by Manscaped. You know the drill. It's one of our favorite products. And if you need a Christmas gift with the holidays coming up, Manscaped is the way to go. Every man, woman, and child should have one. Haven't said that one in a while, but it, it's still true. So go to manscaped.com, use the code HOUSE for 20% off and free shipping. Your balls will thank you later. And now we got pretenders and contenders. Another week of football, another week in the books. Who's pretending? Who's contending? I think I know your answer for, uh, for contender now, and I think it's going to be horseshit, but... Uh, tell. I think you're going to say the Patriots. Over my fucking dead body are they right, contenders. Good. Okay. All right, so, come on. How, give me some credit. I mean... Their they defense, suck. Their, the Pats their defense, suck. Their defense looked good, but against it was against a... A faceless Colts team that now it's has Frank Reich. Come on, now that has Jeff Saturday. Dude, I I'm disappointed that you thought I was going to say the New England Patriots. Come on. Well, I'm glad that's not the case. They stink. They I, they actually might be my pretender. I gotta my think pretender. about that. Yeah, so I'll my, let you go. Go ahead. Yeah, my pretender. Um, and I think this team thinks that they have an actual shot. But the Bears, I think the Bears, hear me out. So the Bears decided at the trade deadline to ship away their, you know, star defense players to rebuild some capital. But then they trade for, you know, Claypool, who, again, it's not a no-name receiver, but he's not a top 10, top 15 guy. And that's just all because they now have instilled confidence of Justin Fields going back-to-back games, putting up some numbers. I think the Bears see the struggles of the Packers right now as their win of like we can sneak into the playoffs as the last seed and we can do something with this offense. And I want to squash that bug right before it bites you because I don't think the Bears are any good. I think they've been lucky. I think they've been overperforming, even though they're only three and six. I think that Justin Fields is a fine quarterback, but Ohio State does not produce NFL great quarterbacks i think the bears end 500 at best i that might even be generous let's look at the rest of their schedule so they're three and six right now they have the lions falcons jets packers by eagles bills lions vikings i don't know that they can win the next two, in my opinion. Everything else looks tough. Maybe the Lions once they come around again, but I mean, I don't think they're going to beat the Jets. I don't think they're going to beat the Packers because the Packers own them. Eagles, Bills, Vikings, no effing way. I Yeah, this is... I mean, if they were even ever in the discussion for, yeah, I guess that they qualify because they they went for it with Claypool, but, I mean, they need so much more help. Yeah, that's a good pretender. So that's my – I also have another pretender. Oh. Double pretender. Titans. Interesting. Titans. So I know they won five straight, and they kept it close with – with uh, the Chiefs last week, 20 to 17 game, they did cover the spread at 12 and a half, which was, which was spectacular. Uh, I think Malik Willis will be a 
prospect in the making and they'll move on from Tannehill. And I think obviously your offense runs around Derrick Henry. I just don't think they're in the position of make a big leap, big splash right now. They could make the playoffs because, you know, that division is dog shit with the, um, what is it? Well, I mean, they will make the playoffs because it's Colts, Jaguars, Texans. But I think that they're going to be one of those division leaders that it's just like, you're lucky because your division shit. Yeah. I concur. I am probably right with you. Yeah. yeah those are two good pretenders. Um, I'm going to add one in that might turn some heads. I think the Cincinnati Bengals are pretending, and I think, and yes, Jamar Chase is hurt. They have some struggles. I think they've been getting away with it by playing bad teams their past few weeks. Um, let's see. Yeah, well, before, you say, before you say that, I'm just pissed that the one year, actually back-to-back years, that – and none of my drafts, I drafted Joe Mixon because he bit me in the ass last year. Oh, okay. Joe Mixon's kind of legit. This year, 50-point game, four touchdowns. <laughs> fucking rocks. Oh, goodness. Um, yeah, I mean, they're, they're, that game against the Browns was just atrocious uh, on Halloween. 32-13. to 13. you got to be fucking kidding me. I'm sorry. Um, That's a bad team. Yeah, the Browns are not good, and they looked they looked incredible against the Bengals. Now I get it; they need defensive help, like, but I think it's desperately. I don't think they're like a piece away. I think they need at least three guys to help them defensively, and for that, I don't know how this Bengals team is getting past Baltimore for sure. Um, and shit, if they play Cleveland again, are they going to get rinsed again? I I don't know. So this is not the same Bengals team that, that came out and absolutely rinsed everybody in the playoffs last year. Like, you batch this Bengals team up against the Chiefs right now, God help them. So I think they're my pretender this week. There. Um, Lucky to have a light schedule and you're not even, like, killing it. Yeah, that's a thing. I don't know. Um, I'm going to say my contender is the Cowboys this week, actually. Because I've seen enough from them, seen enough from Dak. I think he is good. I think how, how about the year Tony Pollard's having too? He some people say he's RB one in is, Dallas now. Ezekiel Elliott. So he's I mean, which is crazy to say because like Ezekiel Elliott was one of the most young d- dominant running backs. It just shows shows you the lifespan of a running back is very small window. And when talents like him, CMC, Saquon are available after like the incredible standout stuff and Derrick Henry, for example, they do incredibly in college. They're available at the top of the draft. Like you have to take the best player on the board. I don't care what any strategy is like, unless you're like in a full rebuild, you, you pick your offensive lineman or your quarterback, but normally you take the best player on the board. They produce offensive player of the year type numbers. You have to give them a contract because they're going to kick your ass on another team. It just also shows that like, yeah, you're going to pay for a guy, but your window of his opportunity is 
four or five years max. Yes, it is. And, you know, I, I'm going through the Cowboys schedule too now. It's like, yeah, loss against the Bucks, whatever. That's when Dak got hurt. Cooper Rush had to come in their whole thing. I, I write that off. Solid win over the Bengals when they were actually a good team earlier in the year. Um, solid win over the Giants, who I think are objectively a good team. Commanders, whatever. Rams, whatever. Uh, they hung with the Eagles every punch. They beat the shit out of the Lions, and they took the Bears of the woodshed. So, kind of a big test against the Packers, who are, like, in crisis mode, I guess. They're not what they used to be, but this is still a very historical matchup between these two. I just, uh, at the end of the Georgetown Coppin State game on FS1 last night, they started playing highlights from one of the last matchups these guys had, which was when Des Bryant was still on the team. This is like an instant classic um, four or five years ago. So I think we're in for some fireworks. I think the Cowboys will come out on top and they've got to win because their next two games are the Vikings and the Giants. So this is one you got to win for the Cowboys. You want to stay in the mix. You want to be able to beat the Eagles down the stretch. You got to win this game. No questions asked. I like that pick. Hate to say it, but I do. Yeah. Mine is now this week will be. I'm not going to bet on this game, but it's a game against the only two teams with winning records. It's Vikings bills. And my contender is going to be the Vikings again. I know Josh Allen has some questionable injuries with his elbow, but pound for pound, like that system and that team has the talent and has the pedigree to do something. If the Vikings want to make a statement to be a true, true contender, you got to knock out an AFC juggernaut like the Bills, Josh Allen or not. So if Kirk Cousins wants to dance with his shirt off and, and rock a chain and sunglasses on the plane, you better follow up with this week and win to be, uh, you know, continue your streak alive. This is going to be a very... I don't know where I think I might have picked uh, the Bills to cover because what is it three? I think it's yeah, minus but three. Bills minus three or Vikings yeah. minus three. Bills because they're at home. Like if this was in Minnesota, this is probably a pick 'em. Probably, and again, like I don't know what Josh Allen's status is yet, but I mean the it Vikings sounds like he's going to be ready. Right now, the Vikings anyway. have been firing on all cylinders. Granted, their schedule has been kind of a cakewalk. Yeah, hey, they they've got. I think they're pretty good, though. I think the Vikings they're, are actually good. Like their biggest, their biggest win is against the Dolphins. Yeah. Other than that, nothing. Like they got tossed by the Eagles in Week Two. It's early, whatever, and the Eagles are probably going to go undefeated. Um. Packers, bad. Lions, bad. Saints, average. Bears, bad. Cardinals, average. Commanders, bad. Yeah. This is where, like, if the Vikings now, let me follow up with that. If the Vikings do want to contend, besides this Bill game, you have Cowboys, Pats, Jets, Lions, Colts, Giants, Packers, Bears. I see a few playoff teams there. Yeah. How's Jalen Rager doing for Minnesota now? Probably pretty bad. Uh, it's 10 yards total on the year. How, how many? 10. 
Hey, it's a touchdown. Beat the uh, they. That was the game they won by a touchdown over the Bears. Yeah, the game-winning touchdown in theory. I mean, the depth chart on this team. I mean, obviously Jefferson and Thielen, and then you got KJ Osborne, now TJ Hawkinson, plus Dalvin Cook. Like that's a lot of mouths to feed. Yeah. Um. Amounts to feed. How's their defense? So it, their defense looks pretty decent. The Harrison Smith has always been the guy. Dalvin Thomason, Harrison Phillips, Daniel Hunter, Eric Hendricks, Darius Smith, Patrick Peterson, Harrison Smith. Like they they have a a pretty solid collection of players. Remember Dantzler being pretty good. Is he twenty four? Yeah, he had a he had a pretty decent year last year. He had uh, 53 tackles and a pick. It's not bad. This could be a pretty good team. Um, so there we there we have it here. I think the Vikings – now I don't know what I'm going to do. I think I'm still taking the Bills, um, even after a performance against the Jets, which is awful, um, and Josh Allen questionable. I still think I'm riding Bills. Huh. That's the NFL. Eagles are still undefeated, huh? What kind of sick, twisted world is this? Not good. Not good, but what are you going to do? College gonna... Hoops plays. Um, we, we talk about on House of College Hoops show, of course. Head over there on Spotify. Um, anything that you like offhand besides Fordham, Arkansas, which I know you're going to play. Fordham, Arkansas. <laughs> um... I mean, we, I we think talk. I'm riding with the Zags on Friday. Um, I haven't decided yet. I think I think Gonzaga is probably the play. Neutral site stuff gets me gets me weary, but I, I think the the safe bet and the smart bet is probably Gonzaga. Let's see. Uh, Mark Few's kid plays for Gonzaga now. Who would have thought? Um, I. I don't know what I'm going to do. The lines, I can't even see the lines for Friday. So we'll have to see if it's double digits. I might consider sprinkling some coin on Michigan state on this aircraft game, but we will see. I don't know. Um, final thoughts. I finish manifest. Part one. Part one. I Good think time. I've developed a take it. This is the, this is a bad show that I can't stop watching. The CGI is awful. And I don't know if that's like purposeful because it's like so far-fetched of like the plane goes missing, the time travel, the, you know, half of it's science, half of it's fantasy, half of it's religion-based and the callings and all of this stuff. But the CGI and the, and the graphics on it is just piss poor the acting's not very good but i love the storyline and i love it and i am i'm hooked that's the thing the storyline is so good but like there will be times that i'm watching i'm like all right so they're fucking looking for what now what what does the sapphire have to do with whatever like i think where i've landed and i'm glad i'm not the only one that thinks this because i'm just scrolling through twitter and everybody's like wow manifest sucks but i can't keep watching or like i can't stop watching it I think that's my take. 
I think it's a bad show. But the storyline has me hooked because of Flight 828. It got 10 more episodes and then I'm done with it forever and I won't rewatch it again. So I'm already I'm already here. I'm already watching it. There was arguably better seasons and, and moments on it. I thought this it's it's kind of wild how it's kind of like totalitarianism of like, you know, the registry with anybody with the passengers has to do these check-ins and they can arrest them at any time and kind yeah, of like very like genocide. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. Very. Yeah. It's a, it's a weird, like, you know, hatred behind this plane missing. And I mean, I understand like people are like, all right, these guys are weird. They're like, get these like callings and like do all of this <laughs> stuff. But it's a far-fetched, it's a far-fetched show. And I thought Netflix was going to do a better job in this, in, in terms of just like overall quality, but yeah, you know, I, that's a good point. Because when Netflix comes in, like you saw what they did with Designated Survivor, it was a huge hit. When they take all these cable shows and spin them, they're usually good. The expectation is that they sunk a bunch of money into this. And for the god-awful fucking CGI, I'd be appalled to know what money they spent on this. Because it was, I don't know if it was worth it. The ending better be good. Because if it's not... I'm going to be very pissed off. I mean, if you already know what the ending is, it's writings on the wall. You're probably going to have like one more major death. And it yeah, like somebody's going to get shot or something. Yeah. And it's, they're going to be right up to the wire of trying to solve the mystery of all of this stuff. And like the the death date they're going to be right to the very end it's going to be a battle between like the family and angelina she's going to die but someone else is going to die with her and then they're all going to survive and now be like we're back to normal the end it would be crazy if someone comes back too you can't rule that out they kind of showed it with the mom yeah well I don't know what was up with her because that was fake. I guess it was the sapphire bit. Like that, so much shit that I look at the TV and be like, "Did I miss something huge?" Because like I don't know what the fuck is going on. All right, they seem to have solved all the problems of the big happy family until oh, Egan's back. Oh, they're doing some crazy shit in the bird's nest. I I don't really know. I mean, um, spoiler alert for anyone who just watched, didn't watch or doesn't even care. We're at the end of the show, so you can hop off. I don't care. But <laughs> uh, obviously, Zeke died, which kind of sucked. But, but is he dead, dead? That's what I dead, don't dead, know. Or, like, is this just how they're going to tee up um, Michaela and Vasquez now being married? Oh, fuck. I that's cringe. I don't want that. It writes itself. It writes itself. They like met at their park bench because it's like it was the only place the two of them know each other and they're complimenting their looks and they're going on these side quests and they have tension like, oh my God, put it on a silver platter. They're ending back up together. Is it going to be like a love triangle with here's something. They want each other. But there's also like the the Drea cop, like she is in love with Michaela. That'd be something else. You can't rule out the the same sex relationships because we have a few of them in the show already. That's a major curveball. Um, 
I don't know. Disappointed. I I hope there's a good ending. I can smell it coming. I've moved on. I'm watching Inside Man now, four-part series on Netflix. Um, it is really good. Inside Man, check it out. Um, quick watch. Going to hopefully finish it uh, in the next day or two. There's some good shit on Netflix now. Like these past few weeks have been fire. So Watcher was good. I got to watch that. No free ads, but The Watcher and Netflix. Yeah, we need a Netflix sponsorship before we can keep talking. They, they're, if we're talking business, they're in the gutter. Yeah. yeah. They're in the gutter. But, not so, well, I mean, oh, I wonder why. You spend all this money and sink all your capital in this stuff and it doesn't perform as you expect to. I would divest in myself too. You now have to pay additional money to um, watch at the same time with multiple people. The base package is two, and then it, it, you have to sign up for a premium, pay $5 more for at least five people to watch. Yeah, well, I mean, look at – remember what Zade said last time he was on the show. He said Netflix should get in the live sports. Do they, though? I think that's a, I think that's a, pit, a, a wasted pit of money. But it, it, that's how people are turning profits now. So it worked out for Disney. Yeah. Um, are they That's keeping their stock afloat? I don't know. I think it would have crashed sharper because it's down now significantly. This is just a conglomerate of like, they have so many re um, revenue streams and touch points. You don't know what the, 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 key, yeah. the key item that keeps them afloat or the key thing that makes them tank. Same with Amazon, but Netflix is, they need to diversify somehow. And that's the thing, like when you already have the infrastructure in place for video, I mean, Hulu proved they can pull it off. Well, the elephant in the room, the elephant in the room is advertising. Yeah. That'd be, yeah. You just run ads, I guess. It's not making it look so good though. It's nice to go on Netflix and not have ads. And then you go to Peacock, HBO, Hulu, whatever it is, unless you're paying for the premiums, like they also have ads, which is like, Oh, this is, it's nice to go back to Netflix and like 45 minute show is actually 45 minutes. Um, but I think that's the first step for Netflix to make some money is to sell ad space. Yeah, that sucks. I, I don't want that. I don't want that. No one wants it, but who knows? Who knows? That's that you get your business segment at the end here today. Yeah. Um, Good stuff. Anything else? Bedtime. Bedtime it is. Episode 104. Thanks for joining us. That was RJ Kaminsky with us from the PLL. Great conversation with him. Keep your eyes out for the capsule collection. That's Will and I'm Jake. So long, everybody. Take it easy. Take it easy.